Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Irish? I don't know nobody named Irish. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me! What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I am here with my cotton-headed nitty muggins. Wesley! Wesley! And today we are talking 2003, a movie from 2003. (laughs) Is that right? Yep. Elf. Yep, there was talk about a sequel and Will Ferrell, aside for other reasons, but one among them being that he didn't want to do a sequel because he would just look absurd and old as Buddy now. (laughs) Well, that didn't stop Keanu Reeves resurfacing Bill and Ted. Yeah, but he ages better, I think, than Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is so fresh-faced, like baby-faced and like young in this movie. He's supposed to be in his 30s. That's right. In the beginning, they said he uh, something like 30 years ago or whatever in the right. orphanage. When he somehow gets out of his crib and then sneaks into Santa's toy bag. Well, that would put him almost at my current age, and that's not the case. Will Ferrell's older than me, so good on him for looking babyface into his probably already 40s at that point. Well, I think they had him pretty well makeuped up and his eyes were all twinkly and stuff. Yeah. I would say that he's well cast, but I'm assuming this movie was made for him or tailored for him or made around him. He was second choice after one Jim Carrey, who also could have been good, but it would have been a different kind of movie. Hmm. I mean, we did get him as the Grinch. I can't help but feel that Jim Carrey in this role, pretty much that anybody in this role wouldn't have been creepy. Like, (laughs) only Will Ferrell can make this not creepy. To make it endearing and charming and at a minimum of creep, I wrote that myself. I wrote down only Will Ferrell could have done this. At a minimum of creep? Nope. You brought in the creep. (laughs) This doesn't even, like, toe the line. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's super innocent. There weren't even, I mean, I didn't have any cringy moments where I was, like, ee, like, don't do that. I mean, maybe when he was suggesting that after their laundry list of things to do that day that they snuggle, like, maybe that was a little <laughs> But a it was funny. Weird. It was innocent. I thought you meant that this is an overtly adult movie masquerading as a kid's movie, which I think in a lot of ways it is. Hmm. I mean, how so? There weren't really, like, adult themes. Was is it? Are you sure it wasn't because I was naked in the shower? And the cuddling thing, everything coming from Buddy was undoubtedly completely and totally innocent, however it may have read to other people. But in order to be in on the joke, as Buddy obviously wasn't, in order to get the little... Pr- <laughs> the little person humor with Peter Dinklage, you have to have been on the oh, other side, no. where you can see how that comes across. That was painful. And it's probable that that kind of humor, even from an innocent buddy perspective, wouldn't fly these days. It was definitely mean of the movie to put him in that awkward position, as oblivious as he was. And uh, Peter Dinklage was right to jump up and beat him down. But 
you can get away with a lot of things when the person can be held accountable for saying them, right? From a good-hearted place. <sighs> this is a hard one because there was nothing derogatory about calling him an elf. And <laughs> it was only... <laughs> as, as we perceived it, right. <laughs> He's so innocent. You can't fault him. I guess we'd have to find some other way to convey the elf humor, which we do in lots of ways in this film, you know, with like him crunched up in that little school table in the seat or him, you know, crunched up in the shower. And I mean, that's all fairly innocent. This movie is regarded as a modern day Christmas classic. It trades on a lot of the stuff that made the Rankin Bass Christmas specials like Frosty the Snowman and Jack Frost appealing. And I definitely grew up watching those. I thought I had seen Elf and by the end of it, I realized I really hadn't seen Elf. I was aware that his name was Buddy. I was aware that he was a little bit off and that Zoe Deschanel sings at some point. I think this might be the first movie favorite that you haven't seen before. I'm not good with comedies. I've seen A Christmas Story, of course. Everyone has seen A Christmas Story, but not more than a handful of times. It's not a regular that I have memorized. This is my first time seeing Elf. Despite it being one of my favorite producer's favorite movies, my friend Rebecca used to go on and on about this film, and she loved it so much. I think she had, like, Elf parties around the holidays, like... As like a Jewish woman, she had made a very special place in her heart for Elf. And I still hadn't seen it until you were like, let's do Elf. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was so resistant to this movie. I'm not really a big Will Ferrell fan to begin with. And something about him in this role just kind of irritated me from, from the start. <laughs> well, from perception or from actually watching the movie? No, from perception. Like, I think that was the barrier to me having had seen this until now. This sort of exuberance and happiness and haplessness and, and Buddy's innocent persona and him being a big, doofy-looking guy, but still being innocent and childlike, I think is one of his strongest suits. He's like the perpetual gentle giant. But cute. Strangely enough, if you look at Will Ferrell when he's not <laughs> smiling and bright-eyed, and bright -eyed, you're like, that dude is a comedian? And he has the other side of him, too, where he can play stern and furrowed brows and George Bush and stuff. Yeah, I think this is the Will Ferrell that people mostly know and love. Overall, this movie is pretty well cast. Zoe Deschanel's Jovi is a great counterpoint because you don't want someone sappy or happy. You want someone who can play a more disgruntled, angsty type character. And then James Caan is really funny in this movie. Yeah, he's an inspired choice to play the straight man, the dad figure, because he's ordinarily so gruff, you wouldn't expect him. I mean, James Caan for me is mostly misery, and he wasn't even the serious character in that movie. Mary Steenburgen is perpetually Clara. Yeah, and strangely, she doesn't age at all. There was probably 13 years between Elf and Back to the Future 3, and she is no stranger to this kind of movie. In fact, she was his mother figure in Step Brothers as well, and she's been in some other oh. Christmas movies and things, but she doesn't appear ever to age. She's another one of those kind of Elizabeth Shue-type pinnacles of aging gracefully. Yep. Back to James Caan, the perfect archetypal New Yorker, and this his character specifically, and then also kind of the whole movie's setting, reminded me of all of these 80s and 90s comedies that took place in New York. New York was this fixture. This It was like a character unto itself, and this kind of felt a little bit like a throwback to that New York era. Planes, trains, and automobiles, sleepless in Seattle, 
kind of Splash. New York as a character. Yeah. It was a big part of it. And it was very clear that Will Ferrell was in New York. Found out after the fact that it was almost all guerrilla style filmmaking. The dude he approached in the crosswalk and was like, Santa was like a random dude. No. Yeah. I'm not kidding. No. Uh, like he went and, and they put tape or something underneath the railing <laughs> in the subway stop. He chewed his own gum, stuck it to the tape, and then walked over and plucked it off and put it in his mouth. And people were incredulous. <laughs> they did what's called the Tootsie shot, where you can see him walking from far away. They did a zoom on him in the middle of a big crowd wearing his elf uniform. And people are like, what is happening? If they did that today, it would be like Borat. Like people chasing him down the street trying to get his autograph. I did hear that at one point he felt that before this movie, his career was really taking a slide, trying to break out of Saturday Night Live and make his own in movies. And he did a lot of crappy movies like Night at the Roxbury and things based on the sketches, as most SNL alum tend to do. But also he was set in New York. And if there was anywhere he was going to be recognized and beloved, it was going to be in New York. It was a pretty... Basic is not the right word, but they definitely used the organic elements of New York and supposedly shot on the fly, ultra low budget. It's obvious that this was meant to be more of an adult perspective movie, at least, and that it wasn't as immersive as a lot of kids' movies would tend to be. The sort of Rankin and Bass feel of the stop motion animation as they showed it in the North Pole with the narwhal and the bunny and stuff. And even yeah, the snowman, um... which is almost spot on identical. He was like the narrator for. For like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special, right? So he was like the right. He was like the uh, the rooster narrator in Robin Hood, the person who serves to introduce the tale. But no kid thought it's he's really an elf, right? They did a lot of perspective filmmaking. They kept, but they kept the FX to a minimum, and it was so obviously sets and kind of silly that I think it was meant to be not immersive and much more of an obvious joke for adults in just a charming kind of way. You mean the use of the stop motion characters? In general, all of it, the obvious sets of the North Pole, the sort of cheesiness, it was like, okay, this is dumb. And it's not meant to whisk kids away into a different world and more as I guess you would consider Willy Wonka at least felt more like a real place. It seems like Elf was like, we're going to do this and it's going to be cheesy in a way that's endearing and funny as opposed to immersive and realistic looking. I can certainly say I felt like I was in on the joke. Like, I, you know, you can clearly see the edge of the set of the on the studio soundstage and the obvious perspective tricks that they're trying to employ with like the little lighted homes and the and the ones that are in the background are like smaller and scaled down to make the, the set feel more expansive. And I felt like, oh, that's cute. But I, I don't know that that tracks for a kid. Like I could think back to watching um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know, Pee Wee like is in that place where there's all those animals and he's just cartoon eyeballs and then the lights come on and then there's all the <laughs> still animals there. Like I remember being totally immersed in buying that and then seeing that later as an adult and being like, um... The animals are all taxidermied and completely fake. What? An excellent observation and a tip to our forthcoming Pee Wee's Big Adventure review, which I'm still trying to get Kelly on board to watch with me. 
But well, that takes convincing? She claims that she's okay with it, but she was as resistant to Pee-wee's big adventure as you seem to be to Elf. But uh, this is a movie that Kelly likes, and she was smiling and beaming all throughout, which was fun. But I felt like it was a little bit strange. And as tends to be the case with most comedies, I just want to see if it can make me laugh. And if it doesn't make me laugh, is there at least enough tongue-in-cheek humor that I could appreciate what they were going for? I'm not good with comedies. I think that you're on to something when you say the effects were kind of used at a minimum or held at bay a little bit. Yeah, it made me think of Robert Zemeckis' flight. All the trailers were about this plane crash and 90% of the budget went to the effects of that shot. And the rest of it was a pretty small talky kind of movie. And I think that Elf was a pretty small Christmas kind of movie. And maybe they threw all their effects budget into Santa and his sleigh at the end. That was certainly effects heavy. It didn't really read like it. They were trying to communicate the public recapturing some of the Christmas spirit or their belief. Like I felt like there were a lot of really practical effects and even stunts in this film and that they were so real. One of them made me laugh like in the store when the fake Santa is like going after Will Ferrell. Yeah, Artie Lang. And then the store manager played by Fazione Love. Definitely my favorite character. And he tackles him. It looks pretty darn practical because it's really poorly executed and looks really sloppy and like someone might have gotten hurt. See, I feel like the charm and the appeal of this movie is definitely not the effects. It's not even the story. On paper, it feels to me like a dumb movie that's elevated by Will Ferrell and an otherwise unremarkable scowling manager type was elevated by Faison Love, who who has the best deadpan delivery. But the people make it charming. Will Ferrell is the only one who could have made this movie funny the way he did. And maybe that tackle by a professional stuntman or whatever might not have been as funny. It reminds me of the burping scene, which, according to what I've been able to research, was supposed to be an actual burp by the same guy who does a voice on Pinky and the Brain. It seemed pretty stitched together to me and not funny as toilet humor as an adult does never seems to be funny anymore. But it's made funny because Will Ferrell after where he does the long burp goes, did you hear that? It's just his delivery that makes it charming. I think the people in this movie, Mary Steenburgen, James Caan, Faison Love, Will Ferrell, and I guess Zoe Deschanel, they elevate these roles to be something joyous to behold in a way that isn't necessarily a joyous, well-made Christmas movie. (laughs) You don't think it's well-made? This feels like a sketch of an adult elf. The strength of Saturday Night Live has never been the sets. It's always been the people, the comedians, and it's always meant to look somewhat artificial to get through it. I mean, it it kind of feels like you're giving the casting director, Stuart Aikens, more credit than John Favreau. I don't know. I was really worried when the dad told him, take off that stupid elf costume. I was like, no, the whole thing is him in the elf costume. But Will Ferrell carried it on convincingly, somehow enough to seduce Zoe Deschanel, which is a little bit weird. But I was really worried about where it was going to go when he's out of the elf costume, and it seemed to be okay. But again, it was a little bit off, not quite immersive. And so you take on the joy. Like if you're looking for to be swept away by a Saturday Night Live sketch, you're going to be disappointed, right? I mean, what about this movie makes it so magical to so many people? What is it about this movie that Kelly loves so much? I think it's the pure innocence 
and she definitely laughed at the physical comedy. She laughed at the tackling. She laughed when he vaults off the couch and tackles the tree and then falls out of frame. (laughs) That was ridiculous. It was funny in that it was unexpected. You know, specifically, that moment felt like one of those moments that you would be, like, all annoyed because no one would ever, even Buddy the Elf, realistically attempt to put a star on a tree that way. I think that Will Ferrell's strength is exhibited in the bit where he goes up the escalator and he doesn't know how to work it and he gets in that awkward split stance or whatever, but he is, he, like, the look on his face, like, this is normal. I'm going to ride it out, and this is all normal. Yeah, it's funny. The physical comedy, I think, comes from his just kind of hulking presence and not really knowing what to do with his his mass, whereas a Jim Carrey, like, Gumby elf embodiment would have just been kind of, like, weird and unnecessary. Yeah, he might have been better as an actual elf trying to trying to masquerade as a human. Exactly. That's the Jim Carrey version of like this movie. Like, if Buddy had a kid who was half-elf, and then Buddy decided he was going to go live in New York, and the half-elf Jim Carrey kid went to go find his dad. That's what the Jim Carrey elf would have been like. Like if Zoe Deschanel was like a real elf masquerading as a human? I mean, she's kind of small. Which kind of she is. This movie is strange in the same way that Zoe Deschanel is strange as a blonde. Like I'm so so weird. Yeah, she's still... Zoe Deschanel, she's still delightful and charming and quirky as this movie was, but it's not quite right. It always registers as slightly off to me. Was it Zoe Deschanel as a blonde in general, or was it the particular shade of blonde that they chose? Like, they needed to tone it one level less bleachy looking. I have no idea what happens with women's hair. I don't know. I just know that she has always been a certain way to me. Entirely too much of her forehead appeared in this movie. She just looks like a completely different person. And also, she was way dialed back. She was the cynical, the cynical reserved girl. Prototypical New Yorker? I guess she was kind of New Yorky, although I think she's an LA native. But it isn't her MO to like, what did he sing? Say, sing loud. And she repeats it at the end all conveniently. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing it loud and clear or something. It was still reserved and hesitant and like, I'm singing now. I hope somebody joins in because this is awkward. Wide eyed looking around kind of thing. <laughs> that's that's the subtext of her the entire time she's standing there awkwardly. She can let it rip in the shower or whatever, but not like with other people. She's awkward. But I think I interrupted you. Like, does Kelly have something that she holds on to? Um, I don't know. She was definitely, this movie brings her joy in the way that Christmas movies do. She just seemed happy throughout. And you can always tell because she makes a point of making eye contact as the credits roll and giving me a big smile, which I really like. It's just like you can tell that that's a happy movie that's not going to drag her down. This was escapist Christmas fair. Maybe a family Christmas movie, certainly more so than Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was a family Thanksgiving movie for everyone. In a way, it's like this movie delivers on the promise of its premise. It's supposed to spark and renew joy and belief in the Christmas spirit. And uh, it's only a matter of time. People are going to come for this movie if it contains controversial elements whatsoever. They're going to come for it eventually. So maybe that's what I was referring to earlier. I could see elements that were a little bit more controversial in the same way that things that were innocent before, like Troop Beverly Hills humor. Obviously, no little people were like, I love that scene in Elf. What else about Elf could possibly be controversial? Well, I kind of expect 
when this when cancel culture arrives on the shores of elf the wave that will consume it will be the autism movement like if buddy is on the spectrum or meant to represent the spectrum where he is just a stream of consciousness flow of words and emotions unchecked by social convention maybe it would be offensive to people buddy is definitely offensive to some people he rubs people the wrong way but he can't help himself because he doesn't know any better at the end of 2020 when we're all regarding it favorably nobody has come for elf yet but it's inevitable anything that's funny and anything that's meant to be even the slightest bit edgy will be destroyed by cancel culture that is pretty cynical. He's an elf, for goodness sake. I mean, he was raised in for the North Pole sake. by elves. If people do come for it, it's like, okay, so coronavirus is over and we're, you know, three years away from an election. Everyone's really bored. So people want to start stirring up controversy. Like that's the only way that people could possibly come for elf. Zoe Deschanel sings in the shower a song that's not regarded as being politically correct anymore. Which is? Baby, it's cold outside. That's about date rape or something. And it's been banned from the airwaves. Wow. Wes, I have to hand it to you. You found a way to be cynical about Elf. I'm telling you, the view, the viewership for Elf is cynical. People who live in New York are cynical. The fact that they're watching Christmas movies, but the Will Ferrell Christmas movie, any more than they would be the Bad Santa movie or The Ref with Dennis Leary. Any of these Christmas-adjacent movies are from a cynical perspective. This one just happens to be innocent enough in its premise that it is supposed to warm the hearts of cynics. Mark my words, I'm not saying that it's bad. Even things that aren't bad, people come for them. On that note, what joyous rating do you give Elf? (laughs) Well, first let me say that they, I mean, Will Ferrell, he's not above doing sequels to his movies. Elf, he put his foot down about. And that's curious. Consider, supposedly, I haven't been able to fact check these numbers. This movie was made for a modest $33 million. It ended up grossing in its initial run, to say nothing of its standing as a Christmas classic, $220 million, which is a great return. Congratulations to John Favreau and crew. When it came time to reprise, for whatever reason, he turned it down. He felt that if he accepted the role of Buddy for an elf, too, and it was a box office failure, people might have assumed that he did it for the money and had sold out. And he didn't want that. Now, that's a noble perspective to take. But also, he would certainly be too old unless he became more of, like we discussed, the father figure. Or he was a mentor to, he was the Bob Newhart role or something along along those lines. But they offered him $30 million to reprise his role as Buddy in Elf 2. That's almost the entire budget of the first movie. And he said no. So why was it? I don't think the offer came during the height of the cancel culture Me Too movement. Uh, uh, The crest we're still riding right now. But something prevented it. And so I'm not sure that it would have been a good idea. But I have to say, watching it from an adult perspective and regarding the humor as being, even now, slightly outdated. It was made 17 years ago, and a lot has changed since then. I'm still of the old-school perspective that the less PC jokes are jokes, and this movie certainly wasn't intending to be hurtful. Peter Dinklage is an actual little person, believe it or not, and definitely in on the joke. So not trying to hurt anybody. And from that perspective, I definitely liked and appreciated Elf. I think that it was a fun 
movie if it wasn't funny. I think it was a good movie, even if it wasn't particularly well made. And I think Will Ferrell and crew were delightful, even if they didn't push to delight us. They were it was a little bit reserved on all accounts and not hammy and over the top that would have made it a cartoon or a Jim Carrey slapstick comedy. I liked Elf. I'll give Elf a solid all right. You could have gone either way with that explanation, that justification. Enjoy it while you can, because it's going to go out of print, and it's going to be deemed too controversial and inappropriate for the all-inclusive, non-denominational holiday of the future. (laughs) Elf certainly exists as a one-off little gem of Will Ferrell movies for me. I cannot personally think of one Will Ferrell movie that I like. Your boy, dude. Old school. Todd Phillips. Uh, confession. Uh, never seen it. Tried <gasps> to watch it. Fell asleep. Anchorman. No, no thanks. That skate ice skating movie with um, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, no Blades thanks. Blades of Glory. All the way to that Eurovision song contest Netflix original thing. Unwatchable. Nobody watched that. Kelly would say Stranger Than Fiction. I had high hopes for that film. So did I. I mean, and it was a nice script and all that, but just didn't gel. You know, it was like this kind of offbeat Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love kind of casting choice. And it just, it didn't gel for me. I kind of feel like Elf, like won me over. Like, could I like Will Ferrell just because of his performance in Elf? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, this has turned me into a Will Ferrell fan. Not to say that I would necessarily like turn out for his next film. Elf surprised me. In a lot of ways. And I think a lot of it was due to Will Ferrell. That and in the one scene where he, um, where he's like, oh, yeah, I think I got some right here. He starts searching his sleeves for maple syrup. <laughs> like a little flask of it. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, Will Ferrell is Brian. Like if he could bring a flask of maple syrup and like a little cooler of mayonnaise every single place wow, that he went, he would. that's the whitest thing I've ever heard. So here's a here's a test to see if you're a Will Ferrell fan. I'll name a character and you picture Will Ferrell in this role, playing it to the best of his ability. And if just the premise makes you laugh, then maybe you're on board for whatever Will Ferrell has to offer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Will Ferrell is Dracula. <laughs> see, that could be funny, right? Yes, but part of it has to do with your pronunciation. Dracula. There you got it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on Elf, a Christmas classic, dare I say, from 2003. Um, Do you love Elf? Is this one of your holiday go-tos? Let us know. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Have a pleasant we wish you a not unpleasant non-denominational celebratory season of religious observations happy holidays and most importantly be safe and we'll see you in we might have one more episode after this but otherwise we'll see you in 2021 thanks for listening Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.